Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Congresswoman Hillary Skolton remembers exactly where she was when she realized her new job on Capitol Hill was about to get a lot more complicated. You know, I was in the car leaving our very first town hall, and I opened up my phone, and I had probably no less than a dozen text messages, actually, from friends in the community, people on my team, who had sent me the article And my heart just sank. I I just, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Representative Skolton was reading the New York Times, their big investigation into immigrant child labor. The very first anecdote in this 5,000-word opus is about a 15-year-old girl bagging cereal on the graveyard shift in the Hearthside Food Solutions plant in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I mean, you're a third-generation Michigander, right? Specifically from Grand Rapids? Mm-hmm. That's right. So was this Hearthside factory, was it familiar to you? Like something you pass? You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's. I think it's one of those sort of nondescript warehouse buildings where you maybe wouldn't give it a second thought, but immediately when you read about it, you know, it's sort of, yeah, oh yeah, I know, I know right where that is. Yeah, I think to me... Part of what made the reporting so shocking was that it involved young immigrant kids assembling Cheerio boxes in Grand Rapids. And and Cheerios are so American and they're so associated with kids. So it was kind of like babies making baby food. I mean, we came home from the town hall. My whole family was with me. And we walked into the kitchen, and the Cheerio box from the morning breakfast was still on the kitchen table. I mean, the level of gut punch can't really be described. And it wasn't just that companies in Representative Skolton's hometown were employing kids. It was that many of these kids seemed to be living without their parents. And a lot of them were falling asleep in school because they had full-time jobs. The machines they were working on, they'd been known to slice off workers' fingers. You've said that this migrant child labor appalled you and that it was horrific. But before you came to Congress, you did work as an immigration attorney. And so I I do wonder if you were surprised, really, when you read the details. Or did it feel shocking but familiar at the same time? 
That's literally what I was about to say, too. It was shocking in the sense that I think the scope and the proximity, but also entirely unsurprising. Especially as an attorney who has worked on these issues her entire career, it felt like a personal attack. Today on the show... This former immigration attorney turned congresswoman has broader powers now that she's in D.C. Will she be able to use them? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The, the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Congresswoman Hillary Skelton says the nuances of immigration have always been important to her. Before she was an attorney, she worked as a migrant advocate. But once she got her law degree, she took that experience one step forward joining the DOJ as an attorney. You know, I was working at the Justice Department, and I was not a political appointee, but I was there during the Obama administration working on immigration issues uh, largely related to enforcement, actually, figuring out how to make our laws more just, more fair, more humane. You were working on immigration appeals, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, it was a lot. You know, the, the Board of Immigration Appeals also has jurisdiction over uh, dealing with regulations. It's the highest uh, administrative agency dealing with uh, immigration issues. So you know, not only uh, one-off cases, but we set national precedent for things like asylum, uh, dealing with, with children who are detained in the United States. It's a very powerful agency. Not a lot of people realize you know, how, how much influence it has. And so that's significant because you know, when, when Trump was elected, we saw such a marked change in the direction of the work where the the focus of the policies seemed to be cruelty for the point of cruelty. And I couldn't continue to work there and uphold my oath to protect and defend the Constitution, let alone maintain my, my own moral compass. And so, you know, I took a stand and I left. Uh, that's when my family and I moved back home to West Michigan, and I started doing work on the ground for individuals who were impacted by 
the administration's policies. Representative Skolton soon got a new job at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center. But almost as soon as she arrived, her work and the work of many other immigration attorneys all around the country was thrown into chaos. According to the Associated Press, Trump administration officials are sending babies as well as small children to what are called tender age shelters in South Texas. Lawyers and medical providers who spoke to the Associated Press described scenes of playrooms of crying preschool-aged children in crisis. Things got especially bad as it became clear that the Department of Homeland Security was separating migrant children from their parents at the border, leaving lawyers and advocates to figure out what to do next. The Detroit Free Press is reporting that two baby boys aged eight months and 11 months were shipped to Grand Rapids, Michigan in the middle of the night. That's when Hillary Skolton started seriously considering a run for Congress. I kind of wonder if you were working as an immigration attorney and were like, well, I'm not going to be able to solve it this way. (laughs) Maybe I'll do this other job. That's literally what happened. You know, at the height of the family separation crisis, our agency was responsible for helping reunite and, and represent so many children. I mean, imagine a legal services waiting room that turned into a, a virtual daycare center overnight with kids who didn't know where their parents were. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons I raised my hand to run, but no doubt, I, I can pinpoint the moment when I was like, oh, hell no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I got to do more. You know, the, the height of the summer and my dear husband came to visit me at work. It was going to be a late night and he brought me an iced coffee and we were chatting and we walked through our waiting room and he was normally a sto- pretty stoic guy and he fell silent and I turned and looked at him and his eyes had just filled with tears And I realized that we had walked past a set of three siblings, all dressed in their Sunday best between the ages of five and seven. That's how old our children were at the time. And he just said, Hill, you see this stuff on the news? It is an entirely different level to look these children in the eye. One of our youngest clients was separated from his parents. At four months old, you know, you're not just walking away from a parent. You're being taken from their arms. Five years later, this investigation by the New York Times has Representative Skolton thinking about different ways to help migrant children. Just this past weekend, she returned to her district to connect with constituents and think about how she can intervene now that her community's child labor problem is no longer a secret. She can already see the way the news has rippled outward. You know, I think one of the saddest things actually about the fallout of all of this is just that there has continued to be some real discontent within the the immigrant communities here where, you know, shining a light on the exploitation of children here has also shined a light on the fact that you know, there have been so many other individuals working without authorization in these factories. And as companies have started to look into, you know, who's actually working here, their labor pool has vanished. You know, the New York Hmm. Times reported uh, that Hearthside, you know, after they went and, you know, ran an investigation on the manufacturing floor and said, we're going to be doing inspections, Almost 75% of their workforce didn't show up the next day. One of the most heartbreaking details in this New York Times reporting about migrant labor, it involves the way kids were going to school, which is required by law, 
and working full-time. And, like, there was a ninth-grade teacher in Grand Rapids who went on the record basically saying a kid passed out in class from fatigue, was hospitalized, eventually dropped out. And I think the thing that was so shocking about the story is just, like, this wasn't a secret, what was happening. People knew. They just didn't seem to know who to tell. I think that's exactly right. And I, I think that these teachers are, are doing everything that they can to keep these kids learning, to keep them protected. But clearly, you know, if, if the individuals in their lives don't even know where to go or who to turn to, the children themselves certainly don't. You know, we as a society, certainly, Every single individual, I think, bears a modicum of responsibility for letting us get to this point. But I think any energy that we spend in turning the blame away from these companies is the wrong direction for our energy right now. We have had these labor laws on the books for over 100 years. There are plenty of companies that don't exploit children, and yet... There are some bad actors here who have, in in the case of this company in in Grand Rapids, according to the New York Times, appeared to have knowingly violated these laws. You you have 14-year-old children walking around on a floor and people saying, hey, I think that's a kid, and you don't do anything about it. The, The blame needs to fall squarely at the feet of these companies, and they need to be held accountable. Exploiting children cannot just be a cost of doing business. What about looking beyond the companies? You know, the whole reason the New York Times went to Grand Rapids to investigate was that they found this data point that only 7% of migrant children in Grand Rapids were being released to their parents. And it was an immediate red flag because it meant sponsors, people who were saying, come live with me, aren't their family necessarily. They might be people who are basically trafficking the kids or using them to earn money. And that's the kind of thing where it seems like that data was pretty freely available. And that's about more than the companies. That's about how well we're looking after minors who are coming in to our country. That's exactly right. And that is exactly why I advocated for this interagency task force because both the Department of Labor and the Department of Health and Human Services have a role to play in enforcing these laws and protecting these children from however they got to this this point to begin with. And so one of the large initiatives out of this task force will be increased sponsor vetting. Over the next four weeks, DHHS is going to conduct an audit of the vetting process for potential sponsors who have previously sponsored an unaccompanied child and will provide staff training on appropriate assessments of this process. We are very engaged with both agencies on making sure that this task force is doing everything that it possibly can to protect these kids and prevent this from happening again. When we come back, this interagency task force that Representative Skolton recommended and President Biden endorsed is just a first step towards cleaning up the child labor mess. How much more can Congress do?
Last week, Congresswoman Hillary Skelton took to the floor of the Capitol to present her plan for dealing with migrant child labor in the U.S. I wouldn't walk away from my own children in these factories, and I sure as hell am not going to walk away from someone else's children. As soon as I read this story, I immediately picked up the phone and started demanding answers and action. I called the White House, HHS, and DOL. This is a multi-level, multi-system failure that created the shadows where these children can be exploited. And we need a multi-level, multi-system approach to fix it. I've called on she started with that interagency task force she mentioned before. It's going to encourage the Department of Labor and Department of Health and Human Services to work together to prevent kids from ending up on assembly lines. It is HHS that is supposed to be tracking migrant kids once they get into the country. And it's the Department of Labor who should be enforcing child labor laws. But Representative Skelton, she's already thinking bigger. At the heart of this matter, though, is that we need long-term solutions. We need comprehensive immigration reform that addresses the root cause of this problem. I know most of my Skelton says that as a Democratic congressperson who flipped a red seat blue, she is uniquely positioned to take on this bigger fight overhauling the immigration system completely. I am not a typical Democrat in a lot of ways. And and one of the Hmm. issues is, as someone who has worked on enforcement issues, understanding the importance of enforcing our laws, not only as as a penalty uh, for, you know, individual migrants who want to break the law, but this is a key mechanism for keeping kids safe. If you can't get children across the border, they can't be exploited. So we need to get over this notion that, you know, border security is somehow anti-humanitarian. It is a key component of making sure that we have a just and humane immigration system. Do you find that's a sticking point sometimes when you talk to your fellow Democrats? <laughs> Absolutely. Huh. I, you know, and I, I think that you know we as a party have just not figured out how to talk about comprehensive immigration issues. And now I'm in a position to do something about it, and I am. Yeah, but a lot of politicians have died on this hill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's a it's a comprehensive immigration reform. What you're talking about, thinking big, are you confident you can do it? You know, when I first raised my hand to run for office, everyone said, there is no way... <laughs> in hell, West Michigan is going to elect a a Democrat, a woman, a mother to represent this seat. And here I am. Are you the first congresswoman from your district? I am. And I know that there are so many others who have worked tirelessly and, and tried to bring about comprehensive immigration reform. But I think that we have a brand new moment here in this time and in this Congress. There are so many new fresh voices in my freshman class. I've already been working with them and talking with them, Republicans and Democrats, who want to see comprehensive immigration reform come to light. You know, it is, it's a humanitarian issue. Yes, absolutely. But I think this issue perfectly exemplifies how this is not only a humanitarian issue, it's an economic and a workforce issue. We have a critical worker shortage in this country. And so we have all kinds of new parties coming to the table 
demanding a solution who never have before. I don't have a single meeting, and this is not an exaggeration, I don't have a single meeting where the need to fix our immigration system is not brought up as as a mm. part of the work that is done. By constituents? By constituents. A meeting at the airport about how extensive delays to get the certain type of permit to do the work that we need is, is a, a worker shortage issue, which is directly related to immigration. I had a meeting with the bankers <laughs> in my office, and they were talking about how uh, one of the biggest barriers to reaching new communities is the fact that people are so afraid of traditional institutions because they're they're afraid they're going to get reported and it creates unsafe situations in communities when people are not you know putting their monies into banks but keeping it at, you know at, at their homes mm-hmm. and then talking with local law enforcement about how they feel a huge barrier to connecting with communities is a lack of immigration status people don't report they don't reach out that makes all of us less safe. And, and we're you know, putting the burden of enforcing our immigration laws on local law enforcement when, in fact, you know, their, their job is to catch uh, you know, burglars, car thieves, murderers, and assailants. You know, this is not the job of bankers and other local administrators. This is the job of Congress. As an immigration attorney, I wonder if you can talk to me a bit about how you crack down on child labor without hurting the actual children involved. That's going to be key to this response because I can tell you already these children are experiencing backlash in the community. What does that backlash look like? It looks like people saying, you know, the children who were reported on in this article are not the only ones working. This is a widespread problem. And it looks like the migrant community saying, Nobody speak to the press anymore. Nobody speak to law enforcement anymore. There's a silencing that happens. Is that because the fear is that jobs will go away for everyone? That's exactly right. And that's why it is so incumbent on us in this moment to step in and understand that a key component of protection is making sure that we fix the laws that allowed this exploitation to begin in the first place. There's only so much that the Department of Labor can do or that the Department of Health and Human Services can do when they're working within a fundamentally flawed and broken program. And I will put that squarely at the feet of the United States Congress, of which I am now a member. So this is my problem to solve, and and I'm here to solve it. You say that you... You know, you're a member of Congress. You want to hold yourself accountable. Are you giving yourself a deadline? Like, I need to get X done by this time. If you could see the bags under my eyes, you would understand uh, that the deadline has already passed. And we are working on a 40-year deficit to deliver on comprehensive immigration reform that has led to this system where these kids can be exploited It's hard to completely convey how personal I take this as someone who has made it my my life's goal to make our, our country more just and fair for the most vulnerable, the least among us. And as a mom who sees her kids on that factory floor. 
Representative Skolton, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me and bringing attention to this really important issue. Hillary Skolton is the United States Representative for Michigan's 3rd Congressional District. And that's our show. If you are a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to go on over and learn about Slate Plus, our membership program. You can do that at slate.com slash whatnextplus. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Jared Downing and Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.